This episode was sponsored by Critical Dice and the Endless Bag of Dice. Welcome to the Compendium, a resource designed to help you spend less time learning D&D and more time actually playing. Welcome to the Compendium. Uh, this week we are diving into another foray of the aspects of D&D. And so we've already covered the core rules of playing D&D. We've talked about the races, the core races of D&D that you're going to find in the player's handbook. And now we're going to move on to the core classes that you can find in the player's handbook, which is really where a lot of the meat is going to come from with your character regarding what you can do and how that changes as you earn XP and level up. So if you're not familiar with the idea of class or race or any of this, go ahead and go back to episode one, where we actually do a broad overview of each of these topics. This episode, we're going to be narrowing in very specifically on the fighter class. Yeah, um, and I love fighters. I've played many fighters. I put a video up on TikTok that said fighters were the best class in D&D. It's not like a hill I'm doing to die on. It's a series I'm doing, but I thought I would start there because Fighters get a lot of hate sometimes of being like big guy, sharp, pointy stick, and that's the whole class. And that's just not the case. Yeah, I think they either get hate or they just get glossed over. I know I kind of glossed over it at first, too, because it feels like one of those things that you don't need more information on, especially when you're new to it, like sorcerer. Well, what does that mean? But when you come to a fighter, it, it's kind of indicative of what to expect from yes. the class. And so I think that people tend to, to glaze over it a little bit more because of that. Yeah, exactly. And uh, an interesting statistic is a couple of years ago, D&D Beyond put out like a graph of like the most popular like classes and races that people were playing or at least creating. Um, and the number one vector was human fighter. Really? Yeah, because Fighters are a great place to start because it's not super overwhelming with a ton of options. Now, as level increases, yeah, there are a ton of options, but it doesn't have to start that way. Mm -hmm. Whereas, we, and we've talked about this before, if you start with like Elf or something, the Elf stat block is just nuts with extra features. Um, and then you get into like Wizard and you're like, what do I do? Or having to help you go into Cleric and d, &D Beyond <laughs> just gives you all the spells in the spell book and you're like, I don't know what to Why do Why is now. my character page 16 pages long? <laughs> yes, I thought this would be a fun game. Yeah, so, but Fighter can be very simple, but um, Fighter's great because they're reliable and they are, well, they're pretty versatile because you know, a lot of people look to like rogues and rangers and things for being like archers, but the some of the best archers in D&D are also going to be fighters because that's a kind of fighting. So yeah, so I, I've got a lot of love for, um, for fighters. In fact, I made a human fighter for a stream just to prove they're not boring <laughs> and, and then played him for like a year, I think, so. What was his name? Uh, Flint Argent. All right. Yeah, this is, I mean, we've mentioned this a lot of times in previous episodes, but Human Fighter is where it's at. If you are brand new to D&D, &D, start there because you're still going to get a really good character, but it's not going to be as overwhelming with like these weird nuanced traits that probably have lingo that you're not even familiar with yet. Mm -hmm. um, 
And so, you know, I, I totally agree. I love fighters. And it's nice, too, because fighters don't have the restrictions that a lot of other races have um, in the regards like unarmed strikes, you know, and we'll get into some of this or with uh, if they want to hit somebody with the leg of a table with an improvised weapon, they're yeah. going to be able to do that with a lot more or command a lot more authority with that weapon yeah. than anyone else would. Because if you're a, a caster and you don't have your components, what are you going to mm-hmm. do, right? You can't just grab the, t- the leg to a table and just keep on going at it. Um, and so they're pretty great in that regard, too, is that they're going to outlast a lot of people just based off of the fact that they're, again, more versatile. And that's why they pair so well with humans. Yeah, exactly. I mean, because they get every weapon, every armor, and they are just really great because at the core of what they are, they don't run out of sword swings, right? They might run out of arrows, but like you just have a guy in like decent armor with some decent strength and give him a sword, he's going to reliably like hit every single time. And yes, I know it matches to the damage output of cantrips and things, but when you play a wizard um, or other spellcasting class that has like cantrips and spells, when they run out of spell slots, they're kind of freaking out. They're like, I'm gassed out. We got to, we got to stop and rest. A fighter may end up using up like his action surge or some other like consumable resources in his class, but he still feels like 80% full, mm-hmm. even when there's nothing else usable on the sheet except for just normal attacks and is still like in, it's going to just be awesome. So it doesn't feel as gassed out as some of the other classes. And so I yeah. really, really like that. Yeah. Thinking about it too, as we're talking, there's a more of an opportunity um, for the DM, I think, to to hand out gimmies in the sense that like you, what do you, okay, you search the bodies, what do you find? Well, they had a battle axe on them. They Uh had a this. You're not really gonna be able to get that the same way with casters where like they might randomly have some like sand in their pocket (laughs) that you could use for a spell, but it's got this kind of weird thing going on instead of like, you know, you've got that sword, but then you're probably gonna be able to come across magical weapons or other Mm -hmm. things a lot more consistently in the campaign than what you might rely upon in other uh, other classes. Right, and more items are gonna be useful for them. like if you look at all the magical items there's a few that are like requires attunement by a spellcaster or a warlock or specifically you know a good aligned um divine spellcaster you know very very narrow but for the most part a fighter can use any of it magical or mundane whereas a wizard can kind of only use the very limited range of weapons that he has and probably none of the armor because most of the time they can't use armor Mm-hmm. And whereas with fighter again, like ninety percent of it is like his smorgasbord. They can do whatever they want. Right. So now that we've got everybody hyped up on fighters, um, how fight, about fight, we fight, just fight. go? <laughs> how about we just go through and we start with what happens when you level up? So let's say that we're building a level one fighter fresh out of the gate. Um, you know, what, what are they going to come built with? And then as you're adventuring, let's kind of go down that, that list and, um, tell people what to expect each time that they level up. Also for anyone that wants to follow along, just grab your player's handbook, turn to page 70. That's where we're going to be living for this whole episode. Yep. Absolutely. So, um, just the kind of things you get at level one is you're going to get your hit dice or, or D10s. It's the second best in the whole game, just behind barbarians. Um, and, uh, 
you're like I said before, you can use all armor, all shields, simple and melee weapon, uh, martial weapons, no tools, which is sad. Um, and then you get saving throws of strength and constitution, which makes a lot of sense. Um, and then they can choose two skills, and they're all very like you know hands-on kind of skills. So acrobatics, animal handling, athletics, history, insight, intimidation, perception and survival um my go-to's are if you're leaning strength go with athletics if you're leaning uh more dexterity based like yeah, with for your range bow weapons, and arrow kind of stuff yeah. right or even a rapier or a short sword or something that has mm -hmm. versatility um go with acrobatics and then just choose something that's going to be consistent with the story that you have for them perception's always a great one you always i mean perception is probably the most used skill in the whole game i would say uh for most games and most tables um, but history and insight and intimidation are also really, really good. Um, and don't worry if you choose a background later that uh, doubles up, you just get a free one that you just pick for anything. It's, it's great. Um, and then the equipment's kind of fun. Uh, so all characters, all classes start with starting equipment, right? They don't, they don't start the world nude. And I think this was a question you asked me like a year ago as we first started out. You're like, what do they get? Like, yeah. Um, well, it's that weird question of like they're level one, but they're not babies. They've they've existed no. for some time, and so technically, according to D and D stats, they're real squishy at level one. Mm -hmm. But they're adults. Like they've been doing this. They've obviously been training if they know how to fight in general. For you know this example, and so it's that weird. Like, well, what do they come in with? Like basically, whatever their backstory lends them. Like, how does that? <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Set up, and, and that's a great point about like how do fighters like start. They could be like a brand new recruit to like the city guard. They could be part of a guild. They could be, um, you know, leaving home for the first time after kind of growing up as part of a, a militia or just, you know, being good at protecting the livestock. You know, like they've killed like a bear and a lion and they're like, yeah, I've, I've got a decent handle on this. I've been shooting my bow and arrow and using my sling since I was a kid and now I'm grown and I'm going to find my place in the world right so um and what's great here in the equipment is they give you the either or option you can mm -hmm. mix and match but it's like there's some clear choices for the upfront just take the damage they probably can't hit you melee fighter and the, i'm gonna stay back and far away from all these people range fighter so for armor it's either chain mail which is great or leather armor longbow and 20 arrows right so that's the price differential between those items. So you get chainmail or you get leather armor as well as the longbow, uh -huh. but you don't get the longbow and arrows if you get the Correct. chain. Correct. So okay. option one is chainmail. Option two is leather armor, longbow, and 20 arrows. <laughs> okay. Right. It's the sample platter or you can have the entre the you know the main course. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, and, but then the second one gets better because then it's, uh, and then the next bullet point is column A, a martial weapon and a shield. Or two martial weapons. Mm -hmm. And we've talked about this before, of if you can use the shield as a weapon, potentially like an improvised weapon. Yes. Or if it's just blocking it. So that that's kind of a blurry one, too, depending on how you expect to play your character. Right. And in previous editions of the game, you could do more things with shields. And there are more kinds of shields. Um, as we've kind of joked before, under the listing for shields. <laughs> shield. <it's> shield. <laughs> and I'm like, come on. Um like, give me a buckler that's strapped to my arm. It gives me a plus one to my AC, but I still have a free hand. Uh, that can't be used to, for a hold a weapon, but can be used for something else. Like, come on. Um, 
so but even there the two martial weapons is there's a well entrenched motif and and trope of the dex based fighter dual wielding you know short swords or scimitars mm-hmm. uh Dritt Stewart and uh the famous good aligned uh drow is one of those guys um even though he's a ranger but whatever uh so again finesse light weapons or, or there's a couple of options for that so that's kind of nice and then uh, bullet point three, a light crossbow and 20 bolts or two hand axes. And here it's kind of flipped because a crossbow is a dexterity weapon, right? It's a range weapon, but two hand axes, hand axes have the thrown property, which means you can throw them using your strength. And so this is a great ranged weapon for strength-based fighters. We don't mm-hmm. have to switch to a bow and arrow and then take a hit to their two hit bonus because now they're using the ability score that doesn't really help them. So hand axes are great, and they like do D6 damage. It's awesome. Um, and then there's a Dungeoneering pack or an Explorer's pack. Um, don't worry about that. No one ever uses it. It's fine. Um, oh, come on. People use those. <laughs> You're singling me. I use those. Like, I feel so scalded out right now. <laughs> Good. Like, they no, come with okay. rope and other useful things that are important sometimes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, the Dungeoneering one, I don't feel is terribly useful. The Explorer's Pack is kind of my go-to because that's like a well-rounded, you're going to use most of the stuff in there. Um, But that's just my preference is I feel like all the stuff that's in there makes more logical sense in like everyday adventuring. Yeah, no, it's really true. Um, Because the the problem is, and the reason I joked about that is that people will get these packs and then never look to see what's in them. Yeah. And then three sessions in, they'll go, do I have rope? And they're and you're like, yeah, you've had like 50 feet of coiled silken rope this whole time or hemp rope or whatever the heck it is. Um, and so, yeah, so I, I'm pulling it up right now um, as far as- Yeah, we also have an episode that we recorded in season one all about equipment too, that people can reference back to as we're talking about some of these weapons that we're talking about, some of the equipment we're talking about. If it's new to you, go back to episode, I think it's episode one to one of those episodes in the first season and we'll actually yeah. dive into the specifics on each of these things so right but for example the explorers pack includes the backpack everything goes in which is nice uh, a bedroll a mess kit tender box 10 torches 10 days of rations and a water skin it also has 50 feet of hemp and rope strapped to the side not inside no to the side strapped to the side yes very important um yeah. The Dungeoneering pack has a hammer and crowbar and tin pythons, so that's kind of fun. Um, so I guess they're going mountain climbing later? I don't know. Um, so, so is that all your character would get at level one? Do you, as a DM, do you allow people to flavor their equipment a little bit more than that? Like, what, yeah. what's the standard, would you say, for people? Like, is it just you get this and that's it? Or do people kind of, like, add on, you know, the sprinkles on top of the icing? Right, I think most people allow the uh, the sprinkles on top of the icing for sure, um, and also backgrounds can give you some more things as well mm-hmm. um, that can add and accentuate that stuff. But oftentimes, if someone's like, "I really want, you know, a bag of flour. Can I have that instead of the pythons or whatever?" And they're like, "Yeah, sure," because there's no real game mechanic reason why it has to be the explorers or dungeoneering pack. Dungeon really packs are us. <laughs> Yeah, dungeon packs are us. Yeah, they went down to the wall dungeon and picked up an explorer's pack. Um, <laughs> but um, uh, I heard one guy recently on social media who was saying that he doesn't do the packs. They get a um, 
they get a backpack that has that is a non-magical item that has four charges and they can expend a charge to grab what uh, whatever mundane item they need out of the backpack hmm. once you pull that's it an interesting that's, way to do that right so that's part of your equipment now so they're like oh i need rope like you can spend a charge and like yeah i'll make sure my backpack and there's this rope there right because that's kind of how it ends up being anyway but it adds a little bit of flavor where it's like, okay, well, you got one charge left, man. What do you want? They're like, I, I want a torch. And they're like, okay, all the charges are done. You get back to town to actually buy the crap you need now that you see it's important. Um, so yeah, so that's kind of fun. Okay. Um, so that's just equipment and kind of like the base, like skeleton, right? Um, but then they get fighting styles, right? So like, uh, yeah, you're a fighter, but like, how are you a fighter? Um, and uh, sometimes you'll get, um, extra fighting styles later on uh but you only have that fighting style once um once once uh once you can't like get it twice and get you know you can't double it up. extra yeah extra stuff um so what would so, you like in a fighting style too for like a metaphor and example in real life that people are like are there characters that you could give us two or three different characters that kind of yeah, uh, exude these different fighting styles sure. so people can get an idea of what fighting style means because it's kind of an elusive word on the surface. Yeah, exactly. So um, what you could do is you could say Robin Hood has the archery fighting style, okay? Um, assuming he's a fighter, clearly archery is his specialty. Mm -hmm. Then you think about the Spartans in 300 and they have a defensive fighting style because they all know how to, on a dime, turn into that big like dome of shields to protect everyone. And so they're about keeping themselves safe. They're more defensive in that. Whereas um, you might think of like literally any anime character who has a giant weapon, like the hammer that's too big for them to like, it's bigger than they are. Mm -hmm. and they keep it in their, in their purse somehow. Um, that would be like great weapon fighting where it's all about the aggro, about the, the aggressiveness and doing extra damage and not really thinking about the other stuff. Um, and then you think about uh, people like Errol Flynn, uh, you know, those great swashbuckling movies, uh, Princess Bride, where you see them with the rapier and then a, a pairing dagger on the other side. That would be the two weapon fighting style uh, where they're used to dueling and they know that they need that other hand to like take a little jab, but also to help protect them. Mm -hmm. Right. So that would be a good way of kind of thinking of these are all fighters, but they have a style they adhere to. And so on that list, archery plus two to attack rolls with ranged weapons. Defense, if you're already wearing armor, you get a plus one to your AC. So you just get an extra, which is great. Dueling is when you only have one melee weapon in your hand and no other weapons in your hand. So you can still use a shield. You get a plus two to the damage with it. And then the next step up, great weapon fighting. These are big uh, two weapon hands, uh, two uh, handed weapons. So if you're wielding a, a, a melee weapon that you have to use two hands on and uh, you roll a one or a two on the damage die, you can just re-roll it, but you have to use the new roll. Um, so, which is cool because there's a lot of versatile weapons out there where you can hold it with one or two hands. I think mm -hmm. the, uh, a great example would be the longsword uh, or just the quarterstaff. Mm -hmm. where you can basically instead of it doing a d6 now it does d8 or d8 to the 10 and then this great weapon fighting would kick in um and then there's protection when uh when a creature you can see attacks a target other than you that's with the, that's within five feet of you so next to you you can use a reaction to give that attacker 
disadvantage on the attack roll, but you have to have a shield. Okay, that one's a little convoluted. Yeah, so basically... <laughs> like, this it just is... kind of keeps going down the rabbit hole there for a minute. <laughs> yeah, so protection fighting is kind of like the Spartan example I gave, where as long as you have a shield and someone's going to attack your buddy that you're standing right next to, you can give the attacker disadvantage. But that's your you reaction. So that mm -hmm. means that if you're attacked later, you can't use your reaction to, you know, do anything an that you have an opportunity to like. attack yeah. or whatever. Yeah, it's a once it's a once per per round. So you're not getting feature. an extra reaction. You can just no. use your reaction an additional yeah. way. It's just giving you a, yeah, an additional option when you choose to use your reaction. Right. And then there's two weapon fighting. When you use two weapon fighting, basically two weapons in each hand, you can add your ability modifier to the damage of the second attack which is interesting because typically anyone can two-weapon fight, but that offhand attack, which is what they used to call it, you um, you would roll it the same way to hit, but the damage is just whatever the, the die roll is, and that's it. And it has to be a light weapon. Yeah, uh, I was going to say, there's tag. the other caveat there that the second weapon has to possess some specific, like it has to be... Light or, does it have to be finesse or anything, or is it just light? Just light, but typically people like to put on finesse as well, because I think almost all of the light weapons are also finesse weapons, because they're light, and you might be able to do some, you know, fancy footwork with them. Right. So, basically, usually you would, you know, you'd start with at least, with what you start with one of these, um, would be part of what you are as a fighter, in addition yep. to one of those six that you get mm -hmm. to pick. You also get something called Second Wind, which is quite wonderful, especially at yes. first level. It really you get is. that at first level? Uh, you do. Second Wind, you get okay. at first level. So basically what Second Wind does is you can use a bonus action um, and you can regain hit points of 1d10 plus your level. Your, fi so your fighter level. D10, yeah. yeah. It's so like a free it, hit die. It is. It really is. It's a free hit die. You can add your constitution modifier to it. So it's anywhere from 2 to 11 damage at first level. Uh, healing, rather. Um, but you can only use it once per short rest. It also resets on the long rest, but who cares? Um, so that's kind of fun. Uh, it's a bonus action. So if you have nothing else to do with the bonus action, you've always got that. Mm -hmm. um, now, uh, Tasha's also added some uh, things as well that I'll mention. They added a, uh, a few more. One, two, three, for five new fighting styles, which is kind of fun. Oh, yeah. Um, so uh, just to keep it quick, because this kind of finishes out first level. Uh, so blind fighting, basically what it does is it gives you blind sight. Yeah, it gives you blind sight <laughs> from 10 feet. Yeah. So basically have, being blinded or your target being invisible or you like covering your eyes, it doesn't matter as long as they're within 10 feet of you. Um, and you can see anything that's not, that's that's not behind total cover, and so visible creatures, blindness condition, none of that bothers you as long as you're in ten feet, uh, which is kind of fun. So like think of like Cyclops from X Men. Uh, mm -hmm. There's a couple of really cool comics where they take his visor and he's just like, really, you think this is the first time this has happened? And like just like walks right up to them and like punches them in the face, and he's like, I can hear you breathing from over here, like. Trust me, I, I know what I'm about. Like, mm -hmm. if I ever lose my visor, I, I'm, I'm prepared for this, right? So that's kind of fun. Uh, and Daredevil is another good example. And then interception, which is even more complicated than the protection one, basically is when a creature you can see hits a target other than you within five feet of you with an attack. You can use reaction um, to reduce the um, damage by 1d10 plus your proficiency bonus. 
So, so this is assuming that a monster hits a friend, a foe hits a right. friend. Just like protection. This is like improved protection. So instead of the person having the attacker having disadvantage to hit your friend, they're basically the the to hit doesn't change, but the damage that they do gets reduced by one d10 plus proficiency bonus. Now, do you have to call that before or after the DM announces the damage roll? What you would have to do it is before they roll for damage, because basically it says when a creature you can see hits a target other than you within five feet of an attack, then you can use a reaction. Okay. Now it doesn't specifically say it has to be before they declare. Sometimes it will, but the way it reads is here's the trigger. Now you can use a reaction. But I think most tables would be like, all right, that's 22 points of damage. Can I use my reaction to minimize that? Yeah, sure. Go ahead. Roll it. So that, that would be pretty common as well. Um, and that works if you're having shield or you just have a weapon in your hand, which I can't imagine why you wouldn't. Um, then to get through these quickly, superior technique, basically you get to learn one of the maneuvers, the special maneuvers from the battle master archetype, which we'll talk about later. But you've learned like one cool trick, uh, like disarming attack or goading attack, that kind of thing. It's kind of like how tieflings style. get that random cantrip. Yes, exactly. Because they just have something in them. They get this one thing. It's kind of the same thing. They just get this one little like taste of this other aspect of fighting. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, which is really interesting because if someone takes the subclass battle master and they get a bunch of these maneuvers, and then they also took superior technique, that means they have even more techniques, uh, even more of these maneuver uh, maneuvers than before. So that's kind of fun. Or you can mix and match it. Then I like this one a lot, thrown weapon fighting. So basically that um, when you have a weapon that has the thrown property like the hand axe, um, you can basically draw the weapon and attack at the same time. Um, and uh, you get a plus to do the damage roll. Nice. Yeah. So that's like, um, uh, I'm trying to think like, I feel like there's something in uh, Braveheart where someone throws a dagger or throws an ax at him and he hits the tree back next to him and he like, looks at them, pulls it back and grabs it and just tosses it right back and hits the guy. Maybe it's the wrong movie, but that's kind of the vibe. And then this one is so underrated, unarmed fighting. Check uh, this yes. out. So unarmed strikes, typically uh, the damage they do is just one uh, plus your, uh, or is, is equal to your strength score minimum one i think your modifier yeah your strength modifier thank you yes you're yeah. insane um <laughs> got arm strike every time <laughs> yes um so what this does is that now your unarmed strikes they deal bludgeoning damage and it's 1d6 plus your modifier on a hit what yeah your hands are, are registered weapons thank you jackie chan like this is like this is that's like, amazing uh-huh it's really cool and it says, and if you aren't wielding any weapons or a shield when you make the attack roll, it becomes a D8. So if you just walk in to battle with nothing in your hands and then just strike like the dragon pose, you're doing 1D8 of damage plus your strength. But here's the thing, being a fighter, you're still able to use weapons. Mm -hmm. You just choose not and so yeah, so you're getting like the best of both worlds there. It's not like you're taking away your ability to wield a longsword. You're just saying like, no, I can drop it and just mess you up. Right. It's like, <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah, like you bring a dagger to a greatsword fight and you're like, I forget it. Put the dagger away and go to town. 
Um, and what's great here is that at the start of each of your turns, you can deal 1d4 bludgeoning damage to a creature that's grappled by you. So grappling is one of the optional attacks that you can take. Anyone can do it, but fighters are great at it because instead of attacking, you can choose to grapple. And it's a tested strength versus strength, or sorry, tested athletics versus athletics or um, acrobatics, defender's choice to see who wins. If you grapple them, their speed is zero. And so at the beginning, so when it's your turn again, if you've got someone like in a headlock, you can just squeeze them and do 1d4 damage and you still have the other hand to beat someone with 1d8. Or do your unarmed strike strength. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then just beat him in the head. Yeah. Like he can't, he can't like go anywhere. 1d8 yeah. of damage. Plus three, yeah, exactly. So he does 1d8 plus three plus 1d4 damage to the guy he's gonna give a noogie. It's the atomic noogie. And now <laughs> I have to go make a character real quick, excuse me. Um, so yeah, so that's everything that you have as options just at level one. Uh, so at level one, you get fighting. to pick any of those 11 uh -huh. fighting styles. So you pick one of them and then you also get your second wind. Exactly. Just right out the gate. That's what you start with. Mm -hmm. Okay. Oh my gosh. 1d6 or 1d8 attack at level one. It's like- Well, th that's pretty common though, because I mean, like the uh, Warhammer, and uh, longsword and uh, not great axe, but uh, battle axe does 1d8. But now you get both. Right. <laughs> Anyways, that's great. Okay, so uh, let's move on. So that's level one. Like Once you right. uh, level up to level two, you get to add something in the mix called action surge, if I can say it. Right. Um, so you don't get that right out the gate, but as soon as you bump your first level, you're gonna get the action surge in addition to all this other stuff. Right, and this is probably one of the best known uh, traits of the fighter. And a lot of times people will even dip into multi-class stuff just long enough to get action surge. So what action surge does basically is that um, you can basically take an additional action. You can just choose like if the guy's on the ropes and you see a little nudge to push him over, you could do action surge and attack another time. Or all of your attacks missed in your regular turn. And you're like, dang it, and action surge and just try it again. Now it comes with a couple of caveats. One is this action um, can be used anything you, you wanna use an action for. Um, so you could use it to cast a spell, use an object, um, take the dash action, right? Any of those actions would be fine. Um, yeah, because it's not an extra attack, it's an extra action. Right, and if you have multi-attack, and fighters do at fifth level and beyond, they get both of those attacks, or all of those attacks. So they have all that. Now, it doesn't give you another move action, it doesn't give you another bonus action. So it's just whatever one action gets you with whatever classes you may have. Mm -hmm. um, and it recharges on a short or a long rest. So that's kind of nice. You can do it a couple of times a day, depending on the day. And then at 17th level, you get two uses of it per short rest, but not in the same turn. So you can't that, I mean, you have to wait a long time for that. <laughs> that's a long time. That's but that, a long that, wait. That, Don't that, hold out. That shows you how important the action economy is in combat. They won't give it to you again right. until level 17. 
Right. And so if you, there's only like one other way to get more actions during your turn, which is the haste spell, which there even tells you there's a very limited number of actions that you could use that piece of action for. And it didn't used to be that way. And there's even a magic item called the boots of speed, which used to give you another action in older editions. And now it doesn't. So they have really reined that in because they see how important the action economy is because the side with the most turns is probably going to win. That's just how it goes. Yeah. So, I mean, at first glance, it seems kind of lame that you're like second level, all I get is one extra attack per short rest. Um, But in reality, that could make or break an entire combat situation. Exactly. And here's the great thing. When you go from level one to level two, you write down action surge and you're done. You've leveled up. Yeah. Congratulations. So you got to roll your hit dice to get a new new HP. That's you're done. You're absolutely mm-hmm. done. Whereas your friends playing wizards, clerics and everything else are like they're spending a couple of hours trying to figure out what to do next. Right. So, yeah. So um, that's level 2. And then we alluded to what happens at level 3 earlier on, but at level 3 you get your first martial archetype. Right. So these are your subclasses. They call them martial archetypes. Every every class has a different name for it. Um, Which like, is so confusing. I hate right. it so much. Your schools and your... <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, with two exceptions, this always happens at third level for every class. The exceptions being cleric with their domain and wizards with their school, which happens at second level, uh, if I remember correctly. Uh, but basically, they're all under the heading subclass. Like... You get to further specialize. Just how we talked about the fighting style, you mm-hmm. further narrow things down. We'll get to that here in a minute after we talk about all the levels because there's a lot of subclasses for fighter. Uh, right. All of these classes have a ton of things. Um, and then you get your first ability score improvement at level four, which is pretty rad. Yeah, the- fighters are one of the only races that get ability classes. score classes. Gosh, wrong word. One of the only classes that get ability score improvements so frequently. Yeah, they get seven. And it's the most in the whole game. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is another great reason to play fighters because ability score increase, what that does, just to put it out here now, is you can uh, improve one ability score by two or two ability scores by one each. Mm-hmm. Um, alternatively, if your table is using feats, which you is an optional rule, but a, it's they're an great. optional rule, but almost everyone uses them. It's great um, because you can just pick up magic or whatever else or double your HP. It's crazy. Um, and so you just pick up a feat in lieu of that, even though some of the feats have minor ability score improvements locked inside of them, which is kind of fun. Right. So uh, early on, um, you know, maybe start maxing out those stats. And then as you go, pick up some new tricks with your feats, but. Right, and we're gonna uh, actually, feats are so broad that we're actually gonna do an entire episode on feats when we get to the end of kind of this grouping of classes we wanna run through, because it applies to any class anytime there is an ability score increase at a level up you can use a feat so it's not class specific so we're going to do one whole episode on that yeah Um, and and there are and there are some feats that are class specific or have prerequisites that tend to lean towards certain classes and there are some there's about i want to say there's like 12 or, or so that are racial feats that you have to be a certain race to use uh but there you go. And so there's feats in the player's handbook, Xanathar's and Tasha's. 
uh, so you can look those up on your own time. That's where you can find them. Um, yeah. Yeah, and then you get, so those ability score improvements, we said you get seven of them. They happen at fourth level, sixth level, eighth level, 12th level, 14th level, 16th level, and 19th level. Yeah, just in case so, you need a final bump at the top tier, yeah. Yeah, which I mean, at that point, I'm not sure what an, an extra two is totally going to do you if you're already right. that that's buffed. Where, that's but... where the feats can come yeah. in, or maybe you can finally <laughs> get your charisma out of the toilet. Yeah, who knows. Um, then at fifth level, the most important thing is you get extra attack. So let me make this as clear as I can. What extra attack does is when you use your action to take the attack action, you can attack twice. It doesn't give you two actions. When you take the attack action, it lets you attack an additional time. Right, Simple so if you that. say, I'm gonna disengage, then you, have you, used your you action. disengage. You can't disengage and use your extra attack to bomp them on the way right. out and i see that mistake a ton with new players and it's fine we all have to learn as we go but we we forget that the attack action is an action like 11 other possible actions you could take mm -hmm. and it has with it certain restrictions um now what's cool about that is the extra attack so then you get two attacks at fifth level at 11th level, you get three, and then at 20th level, you get four. So you become a chipper shredder. Mm -hmm. Now, if that seems excessive, yes, it is. However, if you look at the way cantrips upscale, they upscale the same way at the same spots. So this is how every character, no matter if they are martial or magical, they get good damage output throughout the life of the character um, from the very beginning, even using the most simplest of spells or the humblest of weapons. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, all right, yeah, and then the last um, element in, to leveling yeah, up is, is uh, uh, in, yeah. indo indomitable? Indomitable, yes. The indomitable um, snowman. <laughs> the indomitable <laughs> fighter, yes. Um, well, yeah, so basically it, this this feature is all you also could call suck it up um, where uh, or maybe that's second wind, who knows. Um, but basically at ninth level, if you rail throw, do a saving throw and you fail, you can just choose to do it over again. So define fail. That's anything below the the, target, the same target, target DC, number. Yeah. Right. So it's not saying if you like do a critical fail of a nat one. Right. It's just Which, if you roll lower than the DC. Right, and rules is, is rules is written, the way saving throws work is you meet it or you don't. Mm -hmm. So even if, if if the DC for a save is 22, and you roll a 20, but your modifier is only plus one, guess what? You didn't make the save. There's nothing right. as a critical success or critical failure when it comes to saving throws, or skills for that matter, mm -hmm. but every table is different, but that's just rules is written. Uh, so if you fail to meet the number, you can just once per long rest you can just re-roll it but you have to use the new roll i can imagine why you'd want to use the old roll but there you go mm -hmm. um so uh and then doubtable you get an extra use of that later at 13th level and an additional number additional one for three total at 17th level so this yeah is because you can only use it of... once per long rest which is different than most of the other uh restricted abilities mm -hmm. so far with fighter where it's either short or long rest this one is very specifically long rest before you right. can use it again 
Right, once per long rest. Yeah, and so that's everything that doesn't come to you through your uh, subclass or your martial archetype, as it's called. Um, and yeah, you just keep getting hit points and better equipment, and that's pretty simple. And we, right. we glossed over the other six ability score improvements, so but they're in there too. So there's something cool happening every single level. There's not a single level where nothing is happening. Yeah, and the other thing too that we that's in there, and just to remind, is that your proficiency bonus does increase at certain um, levels that you get to. So it's not every level, but you start with a plus two when you're first level. By the time that you're going to get to fifth level, you get another bump, so it's a plus three. Ninth level, you go up to a plus four. Thirteenth, you go up to a plus five, and then seventeenth and beyond, you're at a plus six. And right. so that's not actually, that's just in the chart that's on the page. That's not going to be expressed in some of those things we just talked about. But at right. certain levels, you do get that bump to your proficiency as well. Because you've been doing this a long time, so you keep getting better at it. <laughs> right. And here's the interesting thing about the proficiency bonus is it's the same start and finish for all classes that progress at the same rate. And it always takes into account your total character level not just your class level. So if you are a fourth level fighter and a first level wizard, your character level is five and now your proficiency bonus goes up by one. Right. So it's the same for everybody. All right, so let's dive into probably the meat of this character, this class, which is the martial archetypes or the subclasses for playing a fighter that you get yeah. once you hit third level, which usually happens relatively quick. Now, because we have so, and, and so many campaigns also, we'll just start at third level to give you more options, especially if people are more yeah. experienced. Um, so Casey, do you want to like, just kind of hit the high notes of all of these? Because there's a lot, um, like describe what the subclass does and like the coolest feature of it or continue to really like uh, let's go ahead and just give the overview um okay. and then you know if we hear feedback from anyone listening that they really want us to tear apart each individual one we can always come back and do another episode so if you guys would like that make sure you let us know um, but for right now let's keep it high level and again you can come in here and read through this yourself page 72 73 player's handbook and you'll see kind of the, the gritty details of each one yeah absolutely uh, so arcane archer, uh, there are archers that are so good. You're like, that's an impossible shot. That's the magic arrow and you'd be right. So they basically get some minor magic, uh, that lets them do some really cool shots. Um, they, uh, learn a couple of, uh, they learn a, that's a new skill. They learn, uh, a, um, cantrip and then they get basically trick shots, um, arcane shots they're called. Um, and they get like two at the very beginning and they start learning more and more. They can employ whenever they take the attack action. Um, and then they give them a list of those things. Uh, and there's stuff like um, like banishing arrow. Like if you hit somebody with it and uh, their speed is zero, they become incapacitated and they disappear into the Feywild for like one round. They're just gone. Like you hit them so hard, they exploded off the plane of existence. Um, there's like um, a piercing arrow, which will like just go through a bunch of dudes in a line, which is kind of cool. There's a seeking arrow that will like just follow its target like around corners and down hallways. Um, 
And then uh, there's other ones like the Shadow Arrow that basically will do an extra 2d6 uh, psychic damage to you when you hit, um, which is amazing. Uh, it's just like all of your hate and spite fueled into a single shot. So is, hold on real quick, is Arcane Archer in one of the other source books? Because I don't see it in the PHB. I thought it was, I thought Arcane Archer was. It starts um, with champion and they're usually alphabetical. Uh, let me check. I mean, we know that Wizards likes to sprinkle this stuff well, in many okay. places. If it's not in the player's handbook, do you want to guess where it probably is? Please don't tell me it's Sword Coast Adventure. That would be the weirdest place to have this. I feel like it would be more sense in Tasha's. No, it's 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 uh, pretty old. Oh, it's from Xanathar. Oh, Xanathar's. Okay, so that okay, that makes sense. Just so that if people want to follow up on this and they're going to PHB and they're not seeing it, that's why it's in a different core book. Yeah. Um, and then uh, they get magical arrow, which basically allows the, all of their arrows to count as magical, well, not for extra damage, but there are some monsters out there that are like, I'm immune to attacks that aren't magical. Mm -hmm. And so now they count as magical. Right. Uh, you can, then you get curving shots. So you can be like the bullet that killed JFK. Um, and, uh, and then the higher levels, basically you get, you can regain expended uses of this arcane shot if you have none, so you always will start battle with some um, called Ever Ready Shot. Uh, so basically you're just an awesome, awesome archer uh, with a lot of like cool arrow shots and tricks to do. Um, then there's the Battlemaster, um, a particular favorite. They get maneuvers. Basically you're gonna get um, a bunch of dice that represent a use of a maneuver and you can expend one of those dice and typically add it to the damage you do, and it does an extra effect. Um, and uh, there's even a DC for some of these things. I'll show you how to do it. Um, but basically, uh, there's things in here like bait and switch, where you can use a superior superiority die and switch places with somebody, um, like a teammate, where you realize that oh no, the the wizard got surrounded, and you can just like run up and like you know do a backflip over him and take his spot and bump him out of the way so he can get away um and doing that doesn't give you any opportunity attacks or anything um there's stuff like commander strike where you can use reaction to just give someone else uh, your action to give someone else an, an extra attack by using their reaction without having to worry about did the enemy provoke an opportunity to attack um, you can do disarming attack where they can just make you make the foe drop what they're holding, which honestly seems a little weak. But when you realize that spellcasters, even monstrous ones, um, unless it's innate magic, have to be holding like a wand or a rod or a crystal ball, like a lich, to cast a lot of their spells, and you just make them drop it, and then like kick it over, and then use your extra attack. No, just, bad like, dog, drop it, kick, drop kick it. it over the cliff. <laughs> yeah, you're like no bad lich. Um, yeah uh and there's like you know lunging attack which you can like kind of increase your reach momentarily parry which is a great one to where uh you can reuse your use your reaction to like kind of like dodge out of the way and uh and reduce the damage a lot of cool things out there um sweeping attack which is like the old school version of cleave where you can hit somebody and then also hit somebody else's next to them and do a little bit more damage Right, and then you start when you 
are a level three when you're getting this archetype to begin with, you're going to get uh, to pick three of these. Yes. But then there's like sub-leveling up within your archetypes, which is why mm -hmm. things start getting more confusing at higher levels. So once you get to level uh, seven, 10, and 15, you get to learn another two at each of those level increases. And so if you pick this, I mean, you could clear out almost that entire list yeah. um, by the time you're all the way leveled up. Yeah, and um, when you get to 10th level and 18th level, the kind of die you roll gets bigger. So you could do potentially more damage and stuff. And here's the actually the 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 not as much talked about, but a very cool ability uh, because it requires you to use it outside of combat. Really, basically, it's called know your enemy. If you spend at least a minute observing or interacting with another creature outside of combat, you learn certain information about them, and you can pick something. Um, uh, it'll tell you the DM will tell you like, hey, are you stronger than it, or is it stronger than you? And then. Uh, you can know its strength score, dexterity score, or constitution score, its armor class, its current hit points, and total levels or uh, fighter class levels, if any. So you can be sizing up a guy at the bar and figure out what his dexterity score is so that you know later when we fight him, we can have the wizard cast dexterity save spells at him because we know he's probably going to fail it. Or just figure out what his strength score is so that you can you know, challenge him to an arm wrestling uh, match at the bar there for a, some kind of wager. Right, so I mean, that's, that's really interesting because right now my campaign, we're playing through Curse of Strahd. And in that game, Strahd, the big bad guy, mm -hmm. is kind of like comes in and out periodically. And my whole party is like, oh, we, we can't handle him yet. But with this particular thing, if like he's dialoguing with them, a fighter with this trait could size them up and then know for a fact when the party is ready to face him. Which yeah. is kind of cool instead of just the like, ah, I don't know if we should risk it, guys. Yeah. And it's a really cool like uh, vibe that you get in a lot of MMOs, video games, where if you see an enemy and they're like a dark purple, you're like, okay, I, that, is right? not a, that is not a level appropriate encounter for me. Uh, but then when they turn green or yellow, you're like, oh, I could probably take them, you know? So that's, that, that is a fun mechanic. But people never seem to use that. So uh, hopefully they will. Uh, then we have the Cavalier, who basically is really good at mounted combats. Um, they um, basically, they gain a feature where when they're on their mount, they have advantage to the uh, saving throws to not fall off, even when someone's trying to make them fall off. Um, and even if they do fall off, they're likely to just land on their feet and not be uh, prone and incapacitated. Um, and getting on and off a mount doesn't cost as much speed, all that kind of stuff. Um, and then they basically have this cool thing called Unwavering Mark uh, that they get right at the beginning at third level. Um, you, I'm, I'm looking at it because I'm not as familiar with this one. So when you hit a creature with a melee attack, you can mark the creature until the end of your next turn. And if that marked creature tries to attack anyone else but you, they have it at disadvantage. You've like challenged them to one-on-one -on -one combat as long as they're you're stay close to them. It's and, like those scenes in, in battle movies where like yeah, two exactly. people are just staring each other down and like it's chaos everywhere, but these two people have this nice little bubble and they're just gonna fight each other, guys. <laughs> yeah, they've marked each other and they're just like, no, nah, it's him or nothing. Right, exactly. Um, and uh, if they do try to damage somebody else, you can make a special melee attack against 
them as a bonus action on your next turn. You can kind of like smack them around like, hey, I'm right here. What mm -hmm. are you doing? Uh, which is kind of fun. Um, and uh, they have a lot of crazy stuff. So like they can um, they can fend off strikes directed at their mount or other creatures. Uh, they can uh, lock down enemies at 10th level where um, when a creature uh, provokes an attack of opportunity by leaving your space, um, when you hit them, their speed just drops to zero, which is amazing. Like they so then they can't leave, right? Right, because that attack happens technically like on their way out, so they haven't really moved yet. Yes, and then you hit them, and then they're stuck. They're like, so see how's it going? Fine. <laughs> um, yeah, and then later you can like charge at people and knock them down. It's it's kind of cool stuff, but um, unfortunately, mounted combat is not super clear we talked about it before in the player's handbook there's some more direction in the dmg and there's a lot of situations where you just can't be on your horse or mm -hmm. whatever your mount is if you're a halfling and you're riding a mastiff whatever that is yeah. uh it's just it's not as much utility as you would like it to be mm -hmm. um and then we have the champion uh we are only a third of the way done uh pause the podcast and get yourself a sandwich uh, the champion basically is like underrated and really, really simple and might be the best option for those brand new players, but they're incredibly and secretly powerful because what they get is that they can make a critical hit if they roll a 20, like everybody else, and a 19. So that just went from 5% chance to 10% chance which is nuts because then when you start later on adding more and more uh, attacks per action, that, that compounds. And so you end up with like 37% chance and even higher and heaven help you if you have advantage. If you have three attacks in one round and you have advantage, you have a 46% chance of getting a crit. And then you're a halfling with lucky. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't even want to do that math. Right, this stuff stacks. And that's that's kind of the cool thing is you start looking at your classes, but then you compare them or add them into your races and things get really interesting. Yeah, and then they basically get the thing at seventh level where they can add half of their proficiency bonus to any strength, dex, or constitution check that doesn't already have a proficiency bonus. So it's like a, a minor jack-of-all-trades uh, from the bard. Um, and then, I mentioned this before, they get an additional fighting style at level 10. So they can have great weapon fighting and defense where they get that plus one to their AC because they're just wearing armor or uh, dueling and uh, def uh, defense or protection or whatever. So, um, and it gives the options here again. Um, and as long as the prerequisites of those styles don't conflict, they can both be active at the same time, right? So you couldn't use um, dueling, which requires you to have no weapon in the other hand at the same time as two weapon fighting, but you could switch back and forth pretty easily. So mm -hmm. there's that to consider. Um, and then even better, at 18, at level 15, sorry, their critical hit range improves even more where they can crit on an 18, 19, or 20. Mm -hmm. And at that point, they have what three or four attacks yeah so it's like okay that's not going to be good um so there you go um and then 
survivor, which is just bonkers. At level 18, at the start of each of your turns, you regain hit points equal to five plus your constitution modifier. So probably at that point, 10, if you have no more than half your hit points left. So that sounds incredible, but then when you think about the damage that monsters being thrown at an 18th level character are doing, uh-huh. it it's just a nudge at that point. What would you, I mean, you've been in games that are really high levels. How much is an average attack, like hit point attack, for a level 18 character? Yeah, I mean, it's anywhere from like, I mean, I want to say it was like probably in the 30 to 40 point range, and then... If they're really trying hard, easily 70, 80 to 100 points of damage. Per per attack, yeah. Per, and yeah, so the foe. five plus con, like it's not bad by any measure. Yeah. But if you're viewing it through the lens of like a first level, it's going to seem incredible. Whereas when you get it, it's just going to be this nice little pat on the back. <laughs> it is, but keep it this, this way. It costs you no actions and it happens every single turn as long as you're below half. Mm-hmm. So that's going to keep you alive for a couple of rounds until you can get to a better position, yeah. either tactically or geographically. Uh, and you still have your bonus action to do second win, um, as well as action surge. So yeah, he's meant to just be a tank, and it's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, then you have Echo Knight. Echo Knight's Buck Wild. Basically, they create a, they summon a kind of a spectral outline copy of themselves from like the future or a different reality or something uh-huh so this isn't like illusion magic in no, essence this is like an actual it's a it's a replica a mm-hmm. temporary replica or wow okay yeah so it comes from unrealized timelines uh and thanks wizards <laughs> yeah well actually matt mercer but yes uh, okay it was in the critical role book um Okay. So basically, it has one hit point. It has AC 14 plus proficiency bonus, uh, so 16 and up, and it's immune to all conditions. And you can like, like use bonus actions to like swap places with it as long as it's within 30 feet of you, uh, magically. And you can let it take some of your attacks, and you can move it. And it's basically like my buddy, my buddy. Um, in combat and it's amazing and you can summon him a couple of times i keep saying him and all this stuff but that's just you know generic sexist yeah i am i'm (laughs) I'm a terrible person um so they can just summon them multiple times if they get destroyed because one hit point Mm -hmm. so it's 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 okay uh it's just a function of what your constitution modifier is I could see you having a lot of fun with that too, with like a bard or someone with really good deception, like just mm-hmm. trying to mess with the enemy's head. Like, yeah. that could be really interesting. Yeah. Be like, look, you're already going insane from the potion that I <laughs> slipped you. Are <laughs> You're seeing double, aren't yeah. you? <laughs> I could bench press 380 and there's two of me. Um, the uh, And what's cool too is like later on, you can start kind of getting these uh, familiar style things like what a wizard does. And you can actually start to project your consciousness through the Echo Knight and see through it um, and hear through its ear. So you could send it, because it's disposable, as it were, into a dangerous situation and scout ahead as a fighter with your, you know, your unrealized time variant. Uh, and then, um, then later on, you can, like, instead of just 
teleporting and switching places with it. You can start to teleport it around the battlefield. Um, and uh, at 15th level, uh, when Echo is destroyed by taking damage, you gain a number of temporary hit points equal to 2d6 plus your constitution modifier. So it doesn't get destroyed, you just reabsorb it. And that's reflected by temporary hit points as long as you don't already have temporary hit points. Wow, that's really cool. And then at level 18, it's called a Legion of One. And so we talked about how you can summon it multiple times as long as you don't already have one. Level 18, you can create two Echoes. And they can coexist at the same time. This sounds like the person that swore off friends at a young age, and they're like, I don't need anybody but me, so I'm going to yeah. make more bees. <laughs> or that kid who had an active imagination and always had imaginary friends. Mm -hmm. The imaginary friend is real. He's here to kick your tail. Yes. I love it. And then one of my favorites, uh, my fighter was an Eldridge Knight. Eldridge Knight basically gets access to a, a limited amount and scope of uh, wizard spells that has their own Which is chart. Bonkers! It's awesome because you don't lose any of the other martial prowess that you had. This is just on top of all of that, where you learn uh, two cantrips uh, and you learn a couple of spells. You have a small amount of spell slots, kind of like how. Um, a paladin does right mm -hmm. they gain uh, a limited number of spell slots on a reduced scale very similar here but all the spells have to come from uh two schools of magic it either has to be the evocation or abjuration so protection or damaging magic which makes a lot of sense um and uh there's a whole chart there for that and also they get a bonded weapon where basically their sword or mace or whatever becomes like bonded to them so they can just summon it to their hand whenever their they thor. feel like it if you're making thor uh -huh. this would be one of the things you would make absolutely and evocation spells like i don't know lightning bolt uh-huh uh -huh. yeah i like or it <laughs> or thunderstep like yeah all of this like this is exactly for that and it's amazing um and uh then they get uh something really cool they get war magic at seventh level where they can cast a cantrip and make one weapon attack as a bonus action. So when you use your action to cast a cantrip, so now you can't take the attack action, you can use a bonus action to make one weapon attack. Now, so if you, you have can, multiple attacks, you would still only be able to use this once, right? Because you only have the one bonus. Right, so here's how that works, is you have one action. You've only ever had one action unless you use action surge. You've chosen to you to use that action to cast a spell, specifically a cantrip. With this feature, then you can also, as a bonus action, uh, make a, an attack. So things like booming blade, which is you cast a spell, and then as a function of that spell, you get to make a melee attack, and then as a bonus action, make another melee attack. You're still getting two attacks per turn plus extra damage from that cantrip, um, or something like. Um, uh, what's that one that gives you advantage until the end of your next turn? Um, it's a divination thing, but that doesn't count because it's divination. Never mind. Um, but um, let's see. Um, yeah, and then they become like mage slayers because they understand magic. At 10th level, they can basically get in there and hit a creature with a weapon attack, and now they have disadvantage on their next concentration save. 
um, or oh no, sorry, disadvantage on the next saving throw it makes against a spell that you cast before the end of your next turn. Um, and then at 15th level, you can just teleport 30 feet. Because uh, why not? <laughs> when you use your action surge. Like, so now you become the Flash, which is awesome. <sighs> I think the Flash is more of a monk, but we'll get to that and decide then. Oh, he's absolutely a monk. <laughs> I, I've created that character before. Um, there's Gunslinger, which I don't know a lot about, but basically it's like the Archer where you get to introduce firearms to your D&D campaign, which not everyone does. And there's all these expl explanations of like, what happens when you fire it? What happens when you reload it? What happens if you roll a misfire? And there's a whole price list of different kinds of um, firearms, uh, like you know, a pepper box, a, a musket, a palm pistol that you can hide under your sleeve. You get some trick shots, just like the Arcane Archer or a Battlemaster does. Um, and uh, even at higher levels, some ways to like reduce the um, the uh, chance that your gun will jam. Uh, you can reload faster so that you can keep using those multi-attacks that you get but can't do as well because you're using a firearm. Um, and uh, and then the trick shots. That, that's basically what's happening there. I'm not going to go super into that because that I don't think applies at every table. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's the Psy Warrior, which is from Tasha's. Uh, where basically they're, they have telekinetic mind powers, um, which is kind of neat. Um, like the Battle Master, they're going to get their extra um, like special dice, their psionic energy dice that they can expend to do special things. And it's stuff like create a protective field um, where it's going to reduce damage done to you. Uh, uh, the psionic strike, where it's kind of like a, uh, um, a paladin's uh, divine uh, smite but instead it's a psionic strike. Uh, and then you can have telekinetic movement where you can kind of, uh, if you can see something that's tiny and that's not being held, um, you can kind of pick it up and move it around. Um, not add, Mage Hand, but kind of Mage Hand as? It's kind of like Mage Hand, yeah. Okay. There's some minor technical differences, but in practice it's probably gonna act about the same way. Okay. Um, level seven they gave them more where they can use it to help themselves uh jump even further um and gain a flying speed twice their walking speed until the end of the next turn uh until the end of the turn which is just them like kind of super jumping and then um, this is neo it's it it's neo. neo it's completely neo that's what they made in tasha's was they made a subclass for neo well also monk i'm just gonna say um <laughs> <laughs> but uh basically and then you also have a telekinetic thrust where you can like shove people to the ground with your mind um you later you get resistance to psychic damage which is not super common that's kind of cool um and uh you can expend psychic energy die to get rid of being charmed or frightened um and some other things um uh your telekinesis gets better and later at level 18 you can just cast the spell telekinesis uh and just do it uh but it's only once per long rest um or unless you expend a cyanic and you die to cast again so yeah um there are two more i think wait wait did I... oh three more okay so there's one from the uh sword coast adventurer's guide which is good old super... sword coast thank you sword coast uh that it's super specialized 
the Purple Dragon Knight. They okay. Have, they're tied to a specific order of uh, Cormian, um, Cormarian knighthood, and I think typically, I think they prefer them to be dragonborn. They don't have to be, right? So, um, so yeah. But basically. Uh, you do other things, and they're kind of like inspiring fighters. They have a rallying cry uh, to give people temp- uh, give people hit points. Um, you have uh, become an envoy, and you get new skill proficiencies like persuasion, um, animal handling, insight, that kind of stuff. Um, you get an inspiring surge. So when you use your action surge, basically one other creature within 60 feet of you um, they get to make a melee or ranged uh, weapon attack with their reaction because they see you and they're so inspired, they're going to rally with you, right? Um, and then at 15th level, they get Bulwark where they can basically give an ally one of their uses of Indomitable um, so that they can re-roll and then oh, wow. a more charisma saving throw. Uh, last two, Rune Knight. I'm playing a Rune Knight right now, which is awesome. They're basically inscribing their armaments and tools with runes of the giant language, um, which gives them special features. Um, and so this is very much like um, Battlemaster, but instead of like expending dice, you basically, you get a certain number of runes per level. And while you have those runes they on you, they have a passive effect. Usually you get proficiency with something. Um, and then they have an active effect, which you get to use once per short rest. And it's crazy stuff like um, when you hit someone, use the fire rune, and they get fiery uh, shackles on them where they take damage and they might be restrained that they fail to save. Or the cloud rune where you would use a reaction and make a hit against... When a bad guy hits one of your friends, you can just redirect the attack to hit something else within 30 feet, even if the original attack doesn't have a range of 30 feet. So you can just use like a amazing critical from the barbarian on someone else on their side because you used your magic room, which is kind of cool. Uh, also, you get this cool thing called giant's might, where you just if you're not already large size category, you become large size category just for kicks, and you get advantage on strength checks and saves. Mm-hmm. And um, once per turn, you can do an extra d6 of damage just because you're beefy now. Um, you get a runic shield where you can kind of use a reaction and reduce damage. Um, later on, you, being this close to this magical radiation, you gain, um, you get taller. You roll, <laughs> Okay. <laughs> you, you, you gain 3d4 inches of your height permanent. That, that's the whole thing that happens at level 10. And the giant's might damage increases to a deal. Huh. Yeah, so I was playing Goliath, Rune Knight, who was already like seven and a half feet tall, and then he gained an extra eight inches, and then he would go into battle with Giants Might getting bigger and have drinking drank a potion of Giants uh, of Giant size of enlargement basically, and would be huge, and it was hilarious. Um, then you get better at being able to use those runes, and um, at level eighteen. You can become huge whenever you use Giant's Might, do more damage, and your reach increases by five. Uh, Last one, the Samurai. Um, Samurai is really cool because 
what it does is um, you get these little like kind of like focus moments where you can do extra things. So like fighting spirit uh, as a bonus action, you can give yourself advantage on the weapon attack rolls until the end of the current turn. That's all the weapon attacks. So when you have multi-attack, you get advantage on all of those things. Uh, and you gain five temporary hit points just because you did it. And that increases with your level. Uh, you uh, gain some skills as well um, and gain proficiency in wisdom saving throws, which is great. Um, and then at level 15, you gain rapid strike, uh, where when you take the attack action on your turn and have advantage in the attack roll against, against at least one of the uh, targets, which you will because of fighting spirit, you can forgo the advantage uh, on that roll to make an extra attack against that target. So instead of having double the chances to hit, you can hit double the times. <laughs> right? You just slide that different Double the money, double side. the fun. Right. So it's not as likely to hit, but you're going to do more damage if you do hit. Um, and then uh, at level 18, if you take damage, it reduces you to zero hit points and doesn't kill you outright. Uh, you can use your reaction to delay falling unconscious. And can immediately <laughs> take an extra turn, interrupting the current turn. And you can still take death saves while you're still up. If but you can just, you. like, throw back a health potion at that point uh -huh. if you're still conscious and avoid the death save altogether. Right, but when the extra turn ends, you fall unconscious and you have zero hit points still. So you can basically just decide not to die yet. <laughs> Not today. <laughs> he was literally too angry to die. Um, yeah, you just could take an extra turn, which you're right. You absolutely could have a potion or whatever. But yeah, it, it's ridiculous. And that's all the subclasses. I don't care if I missed one. That was a lot of subclasses. And buckle up, guys, because we're going to do all the classes. And unless we're doing the Artificer, uh, there's a lot of them. But we're going to break this right. up, hopefully so that it's easier listening right uh, but yeah and, and i know you're gonna ask me about cheese and pine uh we already did those wine pairings go well, back and listen the other to the races we can do the other way around but yeah okay but every every class works <laughs> every class works everyone don't worry about it halfling fighters love them let's do this yeah right and i hope too from hearing all of these different subclasses especially that people that were maybe a little bit put off from fighters about wanting that uniqueness or that versatility um you could start playing a fighter not knowing what you're doing and by the time you get to level like 10 for example you're yeah. gonna know the game really well and you could have chosen one of these subclasses that now you get to practice magic Right? Or you get to play with like runes or some of these really niche topics just yeah. by being a fighter. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's a great because fighter grows slowly with you and there's a lot more cool things that happen on the back end. And so they're not as front load as the other classes. And so they're just marvelous. So that is the fighter class. If you don't have enough dice to make it through your game after every single set gets put in dice jail, make sure you check out the Critical Dice and their endless bag of dice. You can get a new set of dice delivered to your doorstep every single month for as low as seven bucks a month. Compendium listeners can actually also get a special offer by using the code Compendium, C-O-M-P-E-N-D-M, for 50% off of your first month of dice. Just go to thecriticaldice.com and use that code at checkout. 
We hope you guys enjoyed listening to our conversation this week. If you haven't done so already, it would really help us out if you would take a moment to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review. The compendium is also on Patreon. So if you like listening, that is a great way to help contribute to the content that we create. New episodes are available every Tuesday and Friday or Monday and Thursday if you're a patron. And you can always keep up with us between episodes by following us on social media. Just look up the compendium, that's C-O-M-P-E-N-D-M on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. Jason also shares a bunch of great content and plot hooks on his page, The Critical Dice. So make sure that you check him out and follow him as well. Thanks so much for tuning in and we will see you guys next time.